or if you're new with us, or if you've gone, been on like a three-month sabbatical from church, uh, we are in the midst of praying towards and searching whom God has picked out to be our uh, associate pastor, our first ever associate pastor. Pretty excited about that. We know God has someone in mind. We're just praying through that and having folks visit and that sort of thing. And uh, it's been really exciting. And so we had someone visit last week and having our second candidate down this week. Oh, by the way, the reason we're doing this, I need to mention this, is that our church has just grown, uh, both in depth and in breadth. And uh, children's church, especially a lot of new families and kids, and uh, we got some needs there. Administrative help, got some needs there. Just pastoral care in general, as the church has grown, needs there as well. So, uh, excited. Our second candidate with us this morning is uh, Daniel uh, Sogren. Daniel and his wife, Nicole, hail from the Chicagoland area in the United States, uh, kind of cool, we both went to the same seminary, so uh, it's an immediate nice kind of connection, but uh, great people, some of you have got a chance to meet them already, who, who love Jesus, love to get to know, care about getting to know the culture, uh, which ours is already multicultural. This guy has, has, I mean, essentially told me things about this island I didn't know <laughs> All right, when, we, when he got off the plane, so that gives you an idea. They care about the culture and, and connecting Jesus with that culture. And that's, that's, a, that's a pretty cool thing. So, but what you really need to know about Daniel specifically, I'm going to introduce he and Nicole at the end of the service. Have him come up front. What you need to know about him specifically is when I communicated to him we were going to invite he and Nicole down here, he had one special request. He emailed me back and said, I just have one request for Saturday, May 19th, that you would find me a place to watch the Champions League football final. I'm going to call Daniel up. Daniel, come up here, and uh, he's going to preach for us this morning on actually one of my favorite verses in the Bible. So come on up, Daniel. I'm going to pray for him. He's going to preach from God's Word, and then we're going to continue worshiping through song. So uh, thanks for coming, Daniel. Mm -hmm. Abba Father, thank you so much for this uh, brother in Christ who he and his his lovely wife, Nicole, agreed to come down here, Lord, and have been praying with us and talking with us for some time, and just thank you for his heart for you. As a man, I've got to know a little bit. One thing I do know is he loves you and he loves people. And I just pray right now that his love for you would, would come across and encourage our hearts. And I pray especially your love for us would come across and encourage our hearts through your word and by your grace during this time. Just speak through him in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, greetings to each and every single one of you. As Ryan said, my name is Daniel, and my wife Nicole is here. Um, In full disclosure, I first want to say, you may notice, man, that shirt. Wow, he he even likes to dress like Ryan. This is incredible. Uh, So, funny story. Um, On our way here, we were packing, and we had to get up fairly early in the morning to catch our flight. And uh, unfortunately, there's one thing I forgot. That was my shirts. Uh, I left the hanging bag with all of my shirts in it, unfortunately, on the floor in the living room. So Ryan was gracious enough to loan me a shirt. So if you're wondering, that shirt looks awfully familiar. It probably might be. So uh, don't worry, not mine. Uh, But he was happy enough, unless you wanted me to be wearing white shirts all weekend, which is already what I've had to be doing. Uh, That was the other option, so I was happy I at least get to wear something a little bit nicer. So, um, Also, uh, I I do want to say thank you so much for having us. 
It means just so much that you guys would fly both of us down here, and we're very grateful for that. Uh, We're grateful on just a a variety of levels. First off, it gives us a chance to have a vacation, which we haven't had. We got married last July, and uh, we haven't had four or five days off from work since. So it's just been a wonderful blessing to be able to spend some time in a location that we would never, ever be able to come to uh, on our own. So thank you for that. Uh, But also thank you just simply because we get to meet you and we get to learn more about the church. And it's one thing to talk to Ryan and a couple of the elders over Skype and emailing back and forth, but it's another thing to see you all in person and hopefully get to meet many of you. And uh, we encourage you We'd love to meet you. Uh, We want to hear your stories, hear about you and what God is doing in your life. So uh, we'd love to talk to you more, whether that's after this service or hopefully we'll see you tomorrow as well. Um, And some of you we will be meeting as well by coming to your home. So uh, thank you again just for the opportunity to be here. And uh, we are very grateful for that. Uh, Today I would like to speak from 2 Corinthians. Uh, specifically from 2 Corinthians 12. And while you're turning there, I want to just kind of introduce just a couple things. First off, a little bit bit about myself. Uh, I hail from the great state of Nebraska. You've probably never heard of it. It's in the middle of nowhere, literally. Uh, The middle of the U.S. And uh, I grew up in Omaha. I'm one of ten kids. Uh, I'm fourth from the top, so kind of right in the middle, and um, yeah, I grew up in a Christian home and have just really seen God do incredible things in my life, and I'll be sharing a little bit about that as, uh, as I talk here today. Uh, Nicole comes from Bloomington, Indiana, and went to Indiana University. She's a Hoosier, uh, and she's proud of it, and uh, she has an older sister, and uh, just her and her sister and her parents, and also was raised in a Christian home, and God has done some incredible things in her life. So uh, that hopefully gives you some background information about us, but I did want to share that as well. Um, at the climax of most of our movies, I don't know how many of you have seen movies, but if you're like me and Nicole, we like, we like film. So at the climax of most movies, usually what you have is you have the hero or the heroine is shown in an epic fight for survival. Someone or something appears to be on the brink of defeating them. Uh, It's at this point when defeat seems certain that the seemingly weak and overwhelmed hero suddenly draws upon this vast reserve of strength or stamina and appears to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Somehow, the good guy always seems to win. This is clearly seen in one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride. Uh, It exemplifies this all-too-common Hollywood ending by showing Inigo Montoya, one of the good guys, in a fight with uh, his nemesis, Count Rugen. And Inigo Montoya stabbed three times, once once in kind of the abdominal region and once in each arm. And it looks like he's done, he's finished. And as death seems to be upon him, and Count Rugen goes in for the kill, 
and Ego Montoya fights back. And there's this line that he says throughout the movie, but he says three times as he's fighting the Count. And he says, my name is Nigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And every single time he says that, he gains just a little bit more strength. And at the end, he ends up killing the Count and inflicting the same wounds upon the Count that the Count inflicts on him earlier. And it just, it, that seems to happen in so many Hollywood movies, whether it's The Lion King, Rocky, it doesn't matter, Gladiator, you name the movie, The Lord of the Rings, it happens in all of them. Uh, in this passage here in 2 Corinthians, Paul calls the Corinthians to draw upon a vast reserve of strength in the face of weakness and suffering. However, it differs from the strength that we see these heroes and heroines uh, suddenly draw upon because it doesn't come from them. It comes from God. So I'm just going to read two verses in 2 Corinthians 12. I'm just going to read verses 9 and 10. And I'm going to be reading out of the uh, English Standard Version. It says, But he said to me, it's Christ say, saying to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This these two verses, they make one thing really clear, and they pack kind of a wallop, at least in my estimation. But they show us one thing, and it's that we should boast in what, what makes much of God and not in what makes much of ourselves. And Paul gives us two specific reasons why our boasting should be in our weakness, because it makes much of God. And the first reason he gives is that our weakness gives opportunity for God's sufficient grace. Our weakness gives opportunity for God's sufficient grace. And it's pretty easy to see here. It says right there, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, in the verses right before this, in uh, chapter 12 and in chapter 11, Paul has explained uh, that he's been tormented with what he refers to as a thorn in his flesh. Whatever this thorn may have been, it causes Paul such suffering and, and torment that he prays to God that it would be removed. God's answer to his prayers is not to take away the thorn, but rather to comfort Paul with the knowledge that God's grace would be enough for him to live with this suffering. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. While our weakness and sufferings may seem to overwhelm us, God promises enough grace to get us through. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, God promises that no temptation will be beyond what we can handle, beyond what we can endure. God's grace will always be enough to get us through. Uh, grace simply defined is God's unmerited favor. God's favor given to those undeserving of it. It's worth pointing out, I think, 
that God's grace has already proved sufficient to overcome our greatest struggle and weakness, namely our sin. By sending Christ to earth as our atonement, God proved that His grace was capable of disposing of any obstacle that stood against it. So why, while our weakness, while our struggles may seem rather great in the moment, we can take comfort in knowing that there's absolutely no obstacle, there's nothing that we face, that God's grace isn't sufficient enough for us to overcome. Have you ever experienced God's grace get you through something you didn't want to go through or didn't think you could go through? As one of ten, uh, there's been many an instance where I thought the, uh, the dictatorship of my older siblings was something I could not get through. Uh, ever had a God moment where you felt like the only choice you had left was to turn to Him and pray? Uh, I've experienced many of those such moments where I felt incredibly weak and had to rely upon God, but there's one specifically that sticks out for me. And that was when I was in college. Uh, in college, I decided I was going to be an aerospace engineer. That was my dream. That is exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. In fact, I knew exactly what part of aerospace engineering I wanted to do. I wanted to design top-secret military aircraft. That's what I thought I wanted to do, and I was, that was my dream, and I was, I was gung-ho to achieve that dream. I was going to do everything in my power to make sure I achieved it. So I went to school. For those of you that aren't familiar with the aerospace engineering, rocket science, so pretty smart. Um, but if you, know, if you know any engineers, there's one thing that you should know, and simply... We don't really particularly care for people. Um, I'm much more comfortable, I was much more comfortable solving an equation than I was socializing and conversing with my peers. I'm, I like math, I like science. I really despise the English language and reading. It just doesn't do as much for me. So here I am, headed towards my goal, towards my dream, and here comes God. I'm on a crash course with God. And God called me in a, in a very surreal and a very unique way to ministry and asked me to serve Him uh, and serve His people and His church. And it was an incredibly unique experience that I can hardly even explain myself because it's never happened to me before, and I don't believe it'll ever happen to me ever again. But God used that experience and that call specifically and said, serve me. And I felt uh, a little out of my comfort zone. And I was like, what? This isn't what I'm good at. This isn't where my strengths lie. I felt uncomfortable. I felt unprepared, and I felt inadequate. And it was in that moment that I had to rely on God's grace. I had to say, all right, Lord, if this is what you want, you have to do it. Because I'm not going to be able to. I'm not going to be capable of it. I had to give my weaknesses over to God and I had to rely on His 
sufficient grace to work through me in spite of myself. Not surprisingly, God proved to know exactly what he was doing. I look back today and I'm amazed to see how God has taken what I, the areas that I viewed as weaknesses and he's turned them by his grace into areas that I now view as strengths. I've, I've seen God grow me in incredible ways and instill within me a passion and desire for his people and for his word. And I'm incredibly thankful for that. But it's through my weaknesses that I was made strong. And it was God's sufficient grace that brought me through that. And when Ryan asked me, uh, when we were talking, he asked me if I would preach, immediately these two verses came to mind because these have actually been my life verses long before uh, college, back into elementary school. For whatever reason, God has always just used these two verses in my life. And uh, for me, it's these two verses encapsulate what my life has been about as long as I can remember. And again, it's just been incredible to see God constantly remind me of these verses. And so I was like, this is what I'll, this is what I'll preach on. This is what I'll teach on. In our passage today, Paul is calling the Corinthians, and he's calling us as well, to fall upon the grace of God, as Paul learned to do with his thorn in his flesh. He's calling us to, to rely upon God's grace. No matter the situation or circumstance you find yourself in, God's grace is enough to see you through. My second point from this passage is that our weakness gives opportunity for God's power to be most clearly seen. Our weakness gives opportunity for God's power to be most clearly seen. Again, what Paul, after, after Christ says, my grace is sufficient for you, he says, my power is made perfect in weakness. And it leads Paul to say, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul gives us some insight into what really displays God's power. And it isn't what the Corinthians were expecting, or for that matter, his detractors or opponents. Uh, It seems... It seems like Paul's opponents, his detractors, viewed him as a second-rate orator, as a physically unimposing person who lacked the incredible visions and special revelations they claimed to have and that they claimed were necessary to be a true apostle or a super-apostle. So what does Paul do? Well, he flips the tables on them. He points to his sufferings, to his weaknesses, and demonstrates that it's through those that the power of Christ is most evident and is seen through him. His opponents had to have been shocked because everything that they thought that mattered, everything they thought was important, Paul dismantles in a mere couple of verses. And Paul even go so far as to say, yeah, you know, I had one of those 
heavenly visions, one of those heavenly experiences. He talks about that in the beginning of chapter 12. But again, what does he do? He says, that pales in comparison to showing this, the strength of God, God's grace and the power of God, as opposed to when I am weak. While this may have come as a surprise to Paul's detractors and opponents, for those of us that are familiar with the Bible, it's, it's not much of a surprise. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God picks a bumbling and scared Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. He uses a shepherd armed with a sling and some stones to take down a heavily armed and imposing giant. He uses an orphan girl to save the Jews from the hand of Haman. And he uses some uneducated and ineloquent fishermen to bear witness to Jesus and provide leadership to the early church. Now, from a worldly perspective, none of those choices make any sense. They're not logical and they're not wise. But that's exactly what God does. He uses people in their weakness. He uses people that it doesn't seem to make any sense. And the best example that we have, the greatest example we have, of weakness and of God's power being shown through weakness is the cross. Later in 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says that Christ was crucified in weakness. Marred beyond recognition and surrounded by enemies, Christ appeared to be defeated and completely hopeless. Crucified and buried in a tomb, Satan appeared to have attained the greatest triumph he could ever have imagined. Yet God destined that that incredible event be the culmination and crowning achievement of his redemption of humanity to himself. Satan's momentary victory proved to be nothing more than an aberration as God's power over death became evident to the fullest extent. Our greatest boast as Christians, ironically, revolves around a man hanging on an instrument of torture and death. We talk about the crucifixion and burial of Christ really with a a sense of glee because we know God's power is greatest and was greater through those and over those things. Death was swallowed up in victory. It's not exactly the triumphal scene that we would expect to be at the center of one's faith. But that's what it is. That's what, that's what Christianity revolves around, is the cross. Likewise, our weaknesses provide God with an opportunity to display His power. When we look at someone's accomplishments or their strengths, often those things They point to themselves. They say, look at me, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. People like to boast about maybe how many goals they scored in their athletic career or how many times they were voted prom, queen, or king. Or if you're a nerd like myself, it's how many times you 
finished your test before everyone else. Weakness is a little harder for us to boast about, though. You don't hear too many people boasting about how they came in second to last in the spelling bee, or how many times they started a game as a substitute. Further, when a weakness results in something great happening, the spotlight often shifts to someone or something else. When someone is struggling with an illness or with a disease, our focus turns to the doctors and those capable of bringing that person back to health. You know, hear people say, knowing so-and-so was there really helped me get through it. Or, without the skill of the doctors, I wouldn't have been able to walk again. Or, my children gave me a reason to live and fight through it. Again, all those things, that weakness, it, it forces that person to point to something else, something beyond them. Likewise, our weakness does the same thing. Our weakness forces us and forces other people to, instead of looking at us, to look at God. We can't take any of the credit. They prove Our weaknesses prove to be a flashing arrow or a spotlight pointing and directed at Him and off of us. Uh, boasting in weakness seems kind of weird for us. So what are we to make of Paul boasting in his weakness and calling us to do the same? Should we be going around telling everyone how incapable we are of lifting more than 20 pounds? Or should we boast about how terrible we are at a specific sport or craft? Or uh, what our biggest character flaws are? Is that the kind of boasting that Paul has in view here? I, I don't believe so. I believe that Paul is calling us to boast in Christ and what he has saved us from, from our sins and from what we deserve to suffer because of them. We can boast in how Christ has saved us from ourselves and making a mess of our lives by giving in to all of our worldly passions and lusts. We can boast in how God has made us weak in taking revenge on the wrongs that are done against us and how we have learned to love those that hate us. How many of you like to boast about your lack of strength when you're at the gym? Uh, no, I, I noticed you over there lifting 250 pounds 10 times. That's pretty impressive, but uh, I don't know if you noticed me over here. I managed to get the bar up once. Pretty impressed, right? That's not something you're going to boast about. Boasting in weakness goes against every fiber of our desire to put forward our best self. In interviews, you're always told to show the best you, that best side of you. Don't show any signs of weakness if you can help it. We, we want people to think that we have it all together. That we have what it takes and then some to get the job done. Anything that gives rise to the doubting of our ability makes us less likely to get the job. No one goes into an interview boasting about their lack of credentials for the position, about their utter inexperience, and how they don't have any of the strength and, strengths and qualities that are required for the position. Because that, that doesn't make any sense. 
Yet Paul chooses to boast about the very things that his opponents believed are his weaknesses. Because he realized they were an opportunity for Christ to be seen in him. And I think we can apply this, this, these couple verses really simply. I think we can boast in our weakness because it gives opportunity for Christ to be seen in us. I think it's important to point out here that while we can boast in our weakness and sufferings for the sake of Christ, I don't believe Paul is calling us to a sort of Christian stoicism here. To view our weaknesses and opportunities as, uh, as or our weaknesses and sufferings as opportunities to gain mastery over ourselves. It's not a call to, Christ, to become Christian masochists who seek out suffering and take joy in pain. Paul himself asked for the thorn in his flesh to be removed. He didn't enjoy it. He didn't want it. But when God answered his prayers by not removing the thorn, he accepted it and fell upon God's grace and power to get him through. Similarly, Christians are not made to suffer by a God simply out for his own benefit. God does not seek to make our lives miserable simply so that he can be glorified in our misery. Rather, Satan and sin seek to ruin our lives and draw us away from the source of all comfort. God graciously provides us with comfort and grace so that we can get through anything we may experience here on earth. No matter what sufferings you are going through, no matter what weaknesses you may have, God is asking you to fall on His grace to get you through. Let His power be seen in your struggles and let Him be glorified as you find your satisfaction in His sufficiency. Look at your life, at your weaknesses, and at your struggles. These may be opportunities for God to be shown to be strong. Wherever you find yourself doubting His ability, or whenever you find yourself doubting His ability, to use your weaknesses or struggles for His glory, look to the cross. And the incredible picture God revealed to us there of His power in the midst of weakness. Like Paul, we should learn to say, when I am weak, then I am strong.